Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer, and you are about to get a special treat here in the free feed. Rarely, if ever, do we show you what's going on in the bonus content and actually give a an episode that you have to sign up behind the paywall via Patreon, Apple Podcasts, or wherever uh, these are currently behind. But if you go behind those paywalls, you get a free bonus episode every single week of this podcast. And so this week we wanted to show the listeners of the free feed and the viewers of YouTube what you are missing by not subscribing to the bonus content. So this week we reviewed a listener-requested show from the Memphis Territory featuring a show-long storyline between Jerry the King Lawler and Bill Dundee. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You're in the bonus feed. And you are also in bonus content that probably would not be happening if it was not for you, our fine patrons, our fine supporters. Uh, we say that every week, but even more so than usual because Mr. Deemer here is struggling. He's going to make it through, but uh, he is struggling vocally. He'll uh, come through for you, though. I'm playing hurt. Uh, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to make it through this show because patron Kendall said, Hey guys, you need to watch a real episode of Memphis wrestling. And we hadn't gone to really, we've, we've popped in every now and then for a match or two, but we've never really gone to the Memphis territory for an entire show. Yeah. And it's also beyond that. It's a territory that I think is probably somewhat inexplicably i think for both of us something we've seen a lot less than a lot of other territories that are of sort of the the same uh presence or maybe even lower than uh, than memphis you know i i never got memphis tv growing up we didn't get no. that here i don't even i don't recall as i've mentioned before growing up until i was four or five years old in louisiana in new orleans we didn't get memphis at least that i knew of we got world class and we got mid-south so Memphis for me was always it was an aftermag territory. I read about it all the time. Sure. I saw pictures of Jerry Lawler throwing fireballs or <laughs> losing the losing the USWA title one week and then winning it back the next week. Uh, obviously, before the USWA here with it just being championship wrestling uh, in Memphis, you know you always hear about the the great Lance Russell Dave Brown combination. Uh, but growing up, I knew Lance Russell much more from a few years later. Is his cup of coffee. Uh, in the NWA slash WCW, which we talked about a little bit before. So this was a uh, a great selection by Kendall to not only bring us Memphis wrestling, which has been a bit of a blind spot as far as seeing weekly television, but bringing us a noteworthy episode that I think, just from hearing the descriptions of this territory, really captured a lot of what made it so entertaining, so exciting, and so different from everything else that was out there. This episode of Memphis Wrestling is from October 19th, 1985. Now, before we dive in, let's go back 20 years prior. 1965. That's when Jerry Lawler, as a 15-year-old high school student 
in Memphis. He was an avid artist who would attend matches with his father at the Ellis Auditorium every Monday night, the home base for wrestling before it moved to the Mid-South Coliseum in 1971. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports that uh, one day he did some drawings of some of the area wrestlers. He mailed it to Lance Russell at WHBQ-TV in Memphis. Russell, who at the time was not just the wrestling announcer, but the program director of the television station, saw the artwork. He called Lawler at home to tell him how good of an artist he was. In those days, they didn't tape the Monday night matches, but every Saturday morning, they'd run through what happened, what stories were told, how angles and results would lead to next week's matches. Before long, with no video of the descriptions, Lawler started doing drawings of the finishes each week that he'd send to Russell, who That's would amazing. then... He was like the... Uh... Like the court reporter, like the sketch yes. artist at, <laughs> at a trial that wasn't being televised. He played that role for Memphis Wrestling. What a story. Yeah, he'd send him to Russell. Russell would put them on the air. And uh, Lance Russell is the first one to invite Jerry Lawler down to television where Jackie Fargo ended up hiring Lawler to do artwork for a sign company that Fargo owned. And also opened the door for Lawler to become a disc jockey since Fargo did area radio. Lawler saw Fargo's lifestyle, wanted to follow him into wrestling, and the rest is history. Lawler and Russell remained best friends since that point in time. Lawler was young when his own father passed away, and he considered Fargo and Russell like his father figures. So, great story on how Lawler, who became just the face of all things Memphis wrestling. Oh, yeah. Face of all things Memphis wrestling, and in many uh, in many ways, the face of all th- things Memphis, period, uh, during this time. It's, it's fascinating. We'll go through it as we review the show. Seeing Lance Russell and Dave Brown here so much in their element, uh, Dave Brown really doesn't say much. This is mostly the Lance Russell show. It's also, again, such a product of its time in that Lance Russell, probably the best example of what you mentioned, the weekly territory TV announcer that is just the guy that works at the TV station. He's not a guy with wrestling background. He's a guy, whether it be, you know, the sports guy at the station or the program director here that gets the gig for hosting the wrestling show, falls in love with it and does it forever and, you know, has such a a strong bond with the fans. But it is it's something in so many ways while the angles on this show feel very modern in some ways, uh, the actual way the stories are told and the production and the format of this show is such a product of its times that just could not be recreated. Now you can take elements from it, but this is, this is TV studio territory wrestling uh, TV show at its best. Yeah, the episode we're going to review is, at the time of this recording, available on the YouTube. If you search Memphis Wrestling October 19th, 1985. Uh, The Memphis Wrestling TV show, the weekly live television show on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. in Memphis, drew the highest ratings of any wrestling show in the country, often more than a 20 rating and a 70 share. So 70% of all televisions in Memphis were watching Memphis Wrestling. Insane. And it's also much like with world class where it's 
the ratings would eclipse and sometimes dwarf that of Saturday Night Live, which was the biggest national TV show uh, at that time. Locally, it would absolutely destroy a show like Saturday Night Live. It was a cultural phenomenon, again, different, but similar to how World Class was in the Dallas area. Uh, you know, This show, this particular episode, starts, I assume, like most episodes of Memphis Television Center during this time after the open. Uh, it's Lance Russell, Dave Brown. They are here, and they are excited for professional wrestling. Uh, Dave they're Brown at a told, desk? Yes, they're at a desk. It's that classic studio wrestling setup. Uh, they're at a desk with a static background behind them. Uh, they tell us that Scott and Steve Armstrong will be on television. So we continue our reverse journey through the, the career of Steve Armstrong. <laughs> I feel like on almost a weekly basis, finding out that, oh, he was around in 88. He was around in 87. Oh, man, he was around in 85. And so here he is with his brother, Steve. Uh, Lance Russell teases that he has an announcement concerning Memphis and the world heavyweight title. We then find out that uh, Tom Pritchard, a young Tom Pritchard, and Pat Rose will be on the show. As we mentioned, the Armstrongs, the Sheep Herders, but it's not the Sheep Herders you're thinking. We'll get to that later. The Fabulous Ones, that being Stan Lane and Steve Kern. The team of Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett, along with the team of Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. But before we get to all that, you know what we get here on this show? A favorite don't get it that often, but here we have 1985 television commercials. Before we get to the commercials, you, they ran down that card, and then we got a video montage of all the folks that will be on the show tonight, set yes. to the music of St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. Yeah, so that got, a, that got a big pop for me on the couch. That's a, that's a fantastic 1985 choice. Absolutely, and it's great to have this here as something that was on YouTube, something that is not on the network or Peacock. So we, we heard everything as it was originally presented and intended. We the, go to the commercials, a bull. I'm breaks. shocked right out of the gate. Commercial number one. My mind is blown. <laughs> I, you are much more of the expert on all things alcohol than I am. So I will defer to you, but a bull breaks through a wall and this is a commercial for beer. It is, well, no, not just beer, sir. This is a commercial for malt liquor, and we will have another one later. And, uh, yeah, we see a bull and a jingle that tells us nobody does it like the bull. There's more taste than beer, Adam, because Schlitz <laughs> has a malt liquor. Now, I have had my fair share of of Schlitz beer. Uh, that was a, a dollar can you could get... Uh, uh, for a pretty cheap uh, at at Shuba's and the empty bottle and other going to say, other spots. My only my only familiarity with Schlitz is seeing the Schlitz sign as they drive by or walk into Shuba's for yep. many a concert in Chicago. <laughs> and so I have partaken many times. Had no clue that there was a uh, a malt liquor just called the Bull. <laughs> I had no idea this existed. This was this was I, I'm I'm in already on 80s commercials <laughs> as we had. We will learn. We'll learn much more about that later. We also have, we then have a guy, he's in the rain. He tells us that there's one battery who can start all these cars that are laid out in front of him at once. Apparently it is the Walmart Omega 5 battery, which has been slashed to just $37.84. And I wonder if that's the battery that are in all the cars that we see in the next commercial. Tom Gibson Ford of West Memphis, where for some reason, 1986 cars are... Cheaper than 1985 cars. 
<laughs> they are. Uh, Tom Gibson from West Memphis, Arkansas, Ford dealership, will put you in a Ford Escort with air conditioning for yes. $6,550. A Thunderbird with air conditioning, and it says that on the screen, with air for $10,500. We then go from but, that to... But here's, here's the difference. The Ford Escort with air conditioning, 6550 a Ford Mustang, also with air, $7,400. So for $850, you can go from a Ford Escort to a <laughs> Ford Mustang. This is a no-brainer, Todd Gibson. I'll tell you what. Growing up uh, in my, my late teens, throughout my 20s, I had a series of Ford Escorts. That's what my dad <laughs> drove as his work car, so that's what I drove. If I could have gotten, even with whatever the conversion, the inflation, whatever that rate is, if I could have gotten a mustang for 800 dollars more than a ford escort <laughs> no brainer you bet your damn life i would have my my teenage and early uh my early 20s dating life may have been a little bit different if i would have had a mustang <laughs> instead of a rusty old ford escort yeah i was shocked at the, the 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 deal that todd gibson is not talking about that was right there yes. on the screen um we go back to the studio where jerry lawler and Bill Superstar Dundee are being interviewed by Lance Russell. Uh, Dundee, so excited to be teaming with Jerry Lawler, says they can whoop the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, the Sheep Herders. He runs down a list of every tag team. In the world, not just in this territory. He first rattles off every major tag team that's in a different territory, says that they can beat them or that they have beat them, even though that isn't true. He says the same thing about the fabulous ones who are the Southern Tag Team Champions. So put a pin in that uh, for later. In the middle of this promo, we cut to video of Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler wrestling the Mongolian Stamper and someone named Taurus Bulba? <laughs> yes. Isn't this, isn't this Glenn Kolka? <laughs> we, see the, we see clips of Dundee and Lawler. Uh, Dundee gets the win in this match with a sunset flip into the ring. And we go back to the studio after watching Dundee and Lawler win their match. And I'm watching Jerry Lawler do this promo. And his crown goatee is incredible. Oh. His, it just just so the, Jerry the King Lawler has a goatee shaped like a crown. This is this is fantastic. They both want to be the world champion. Ric Flair is coming to town. But for now, they're gonna be a tag team. Yes, they're going to be a tag team. The, the theme really, the this is a lot of laying the groundwork here in this promo where, as you mentioned, Bill Dundee is just ranting and raving. It's Bill Dundee as Brian Christopher on Monday Night Raw announcing that Takamishinoku Pantera match that we uh, <laughs> many, many seasons ago now. Like he is just completely out of his gourd going nuts, ranting and raving. Lawler finally gets to talk. Lawler's much more reserved, but he starts to promo promo by saying you're gonna let me talk sort of jokingly to bill but we'll see if that stays uh if things stay as uh, as chill between the two as things go on we then have uh, as as uh, dundee and lawler exit here come the sheep herders but it's not the future bushwhackers it's not luke williams and butch miller it is instead a young rip morgan and some guy named jonathan jonathan boyd Jonathan Boyd, he talked about a hospital match that they had with the Fabulous Ones, where the Fabulous Ones won the Tag Team Championship. 
And then this entire promo, it it all I can think of is when I hear Gary Michael Capetta starting to tell us about war games and says the rules are simple, and then 10 minutes later we're done having the rules explained. This entire seemingly five-minute promo by Jonathan Boyd is explaining the rugby scrum match, something about the ball being encased in a net, in keys, guys are chained to the ring. If the ball rolls out of the ring, the fans throw it back in. This almost sounded like an early treatment for the Saw movies. I don't understand. The third time Lance Russell explained the rules to me, I finally got it. And I've been watching wrestling for third over 30 years. And this is the first time. I still I, it don't took me. So, so, yeah, when they have their, they will have a match. It's a three-on-three match. One guy will be handcuffed from each team to the ropes. The key to the handcuffs is on a rugby-style ball. And Which is that, encased in a net of some sort. And and as people have a scrum to try to get the ball, if the ball falls outside of the ring or goes into the crowd, the crowd is to throw it to the people that they want to unlock their guys. So that's the This is the, the dumbest gist. match I've ever heard. And so I've been forced to watch TNA. Yes. By you, the listeners. Some of you that are listening and paying right now have forced me to watch TNA. And that still... I can't imagine this is any better than the Dup Cup. I'd rather watch this than the Dup Cup any day. I, you are forgetting <laughs> how bad your blo- your PTSD blocking out bias. how bad that was. Yeah, uh, no, this was still not good. Uh, I did enjoy Rip Morgan doing a version of what a scary bushwhacker would look like. Yes, I, I did appreciate that. Um, the invader well, it's funny because Rip Morgan. I think of him like they, they were Rip Morgan and Jack Victory, I believe, who were went on to be the royal family. Like they were the flag bearers for the sheep herders, mm-hmm. but they weren't the sheep herders as I remembered it. But here, yeah, he's he's in the ring. He's being all wild. There's some mask guy looking like he's straight the out invader. of Invader. Yeah. Total, in, total continental jobber here. They put the ball in the middle of the ring. Rip Morgan gets in the ring with the Invader. He grabs it. Morgan beats him up. This did nothing to tell you about the rules. It literally no, took me till no. Lance Russell's third explanation. The idea was that this was supposed to be a demonstration of some sort. It did not come off that way. No. My favorite part about this, though, is that as the action is happening in the ring, Jonathan Boyd continues trying to explain this, and Lance Russell is at least as exasperated as we were watching this. He's like, we got to go. And then they just <laughs> go break while Jonathan Boyd is still talking, and they got to go. Because it's time for more 80s commercials. It starts with Expertune to tune your car. Get a tune-up from Expertune. Then we see Church's Chicken. You can get a whole chicken for $5.49. Nice price. Hell yes. Yeah, big fan. Church's Chicken, if you're a Blackhawks fan who Mm -hmm. doesn't like to pay for parking, if you've parked across (laughs) the uh, the street from Church's Chicken, you've maybe gone in and got some chicken, got some biscuits. Church's Chicken damn good food uh, i i enjoyed seeing that here we then have a, a commercial for the fall harvest of savings at rush furniture where they tell us no banks are involved we will I, have i i will have furniture thoughts later in the next set of commercials well <laughs> furniture thoughts furniture and electronic thoughts i have a, a i have I've been talking to people I know in my life about this, trying to get more details on if they remember something that is a theme for the rest of the commercial breaks, if they remember this being a thing in the mid-80s, because it is certainly a thing 
here in Memphis in 1985. Uh, we have an Amvets thrift store commercial as well. The world's we largest the thrift store from the Amvets. Uh, yes, it is hopping too at that Amvets. It looks like the whole town is there. The only thing that looks like it's uh, it's more popular than Amvets in Memphis is the fabulous ones. Holy cow. They, they come get out. introduced coming out of the break. And women, children, children who are women are all just mobbing these men who are in short tights with suspenders. They are uh, one set of chaps away from being easy money here visually. They came out and hugged every single woman in the crowd while there was just a sea of children chasing them for autographs like they yes. were the Von Erics in, uh, in the Dallas territory there. Well, think about, too, if you're, if you're only familiar with Steve Kern as Skinner, Think about Skinner, Skinner in short tights with suspenders on. That Skinner from early to mid '90s WWF. This is early. This is six years. Only six years before Skinner wrestled Bret Hart at Tuesday Night in Texas, looking 60 years old. Here he is, a heartthrob teaming with the future uh, Midnight Express member Stan Lane. It's also strange to see Stan Lane with a beard here. Yeah. So. St- Steve uh, disagrees that Lawler and Dundee could actually beat them. And this triggers Dundee to come out and interrupt. Dundee tells Lawler to come out too. He says, these guys are challenging us to a match. (laughs) And Kern's like, we're not challenging you. No, Kern and Lane are very chill. They're very calm here. Meanwhile, uh, Dundee is ranting and raving at an even more hyper level than he was a few minutes ago. And he continues like he'll talk for 30 seconds and he gets so aggravated, so aggravated with the fabulous ones that then he walks halfway away from this, from the, uh, the set, the stage area. And he's calling for Lawler to come out. Lawler doesn't come out. That makes him more agitated. This happens multiple times before Lawler finally, you know, just mostly to just get Bill Dundee to calm down and stop ranting. Lawler finally saunters out and says that he agrees with the Fabulous Ones. Fabulous Ones aren't challenging Bill Dundee. And furthermore, Jerry Lawler says, we don't need to wrestle these guys. They're our friends. There's good guys. They're, they're good guys. There are so many jerks, he says, <laughs> that we can wrestle. We can wrestle the Stomper. We can wrestle all these other guys. We can wrestle Tom Pritchard. We can wrestle Pat Rose. We don't need to fight these guys. And furthermore, he uh, Lawler says, they're the tag team champions. That makes them the best tag team in the world. I am the Southern champion. That makes me the best singles wrestler here. I, d- I don't need to fight them. And then that sets Bill Dundee off because he's saying, oh, so they've leave got me? titles. <laughs> yeah. I, you've got a title. I don't have a title. I guess I'm nothing. Yeah, where does that leave Bill Dundee? He's he's getting he's going crazy. Lance Rust- Lance Russell is completely frustrated that Dundee <laughs> keeps misconstruing the conversation. Whenever someone says something completely rational, sane, and calm, Bill Dundee twists the words and freaks out. And Lance Russell is so it. frustrated, and I am dying. This is so great. This uh, this was this is great. Lawler's like, as far as I'm concerned, if you're acting like this. I don't want to be your partner anymore. And Dundee sucker punches Lawler and runs away. <laughs> Immediately sucker awesome. punches Lawler. The, the moment the final syllable tumbles out of Jerry Lawler's mouth, Dundee sucker punches him, scampers away to the ring, runs around the ring, 
Um, this is, I've never, I have not seen a ton of prime build on D. Again, he's another one of those guys that I was very familiar with in still form and written word from reading the magazines growing up, but I had not seen a ton of him in action. He is amazing on this show as a promo, as a character. This is so of any of the studio TV angle stuff that we've seen, and it continues throughout the show. Some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Yeah, he's great. Lance Russell as the as the oh. host is great, and uh, all of the baby faces as straight men trying to calm down faux baby face Dundee, and it was yeah. uh, it, it took he was it, he just couldn't contain himself and had to punch no. Lawler, and now we're off to the races. So the best thing about Lance Russell, or the the best comparison I can make or contrast, I guess, would be a better way to describe it. Lance Russell here on this show is everything Michael Cole isn't on WWE television. He, he, he's he got charm. He has command of what's happening. He he has gravitas. He's he, he's just, he's amazing. He's a tour de force here on this show, uh, sort of being the kind of the counterbalance to the insanity uh, of Bill Dundee. And that's the only way to describe it, it is yeah. unhinged insanity from Bill Dundee. Like you said, he twists every single rational rational logical point that's made by anyone on this program to him he does not even acknowledge it and twist it into something that is is uh, meaning that they're out to get him and like you said we're off to the races from here fun fact about bill dundee his daughter married beautiful bobby eaton wow yeah so his uh his his Daughter married Bobby Eaton and had a grandson for for Dundee there. So. Well, and then didn't Bill Dundee go on to manage the Blue Bloods, uh, Earl Robert Eaton and Lord <laughs> Stephen Regal in WCW? Correct. Yeah. The we go to the ring now. The fabulous ones are going to wrestle. They're taking on the team of Jimmy Beal and Wayne Blaylock. This was all fabulous ones. Um, we did get the moment where whenever there's a jobber team, uh, when uh, Kern slams the geek into his own corner, so uh, asking to tag his partner in so they could beat him up some. I immediately thought of you and how much you love that. I love that, that spot, yeah. And then uh, uh, the finish comes with Kern holding him up in like a heart attack position. Lane runs, and instead of doing like a Bret Hart clothesline, instead hits like a forearm gets the pin in this quick squash match. Exactly. This was a flying forearm version of the heart attack. One minute and 37 seconds, we're told by Dave Brown. We go to commercial. Uh, this is another one of the hallmarks of 80s commercials. It's, I guess we can say it this way on the uh, on the bonus feed. It's products shit talking other products. Big time. You remember back then it would be Coke. And they'd show a bottle of Pepsi and they'd tell you how Pepsi sucked. Or it would be McDonald's and they'd be telling you how Burger King's chicken nuggets sucked. Or here, it's two men playing chess in the park and one man convinces the other man that Sprite is in fact better than 7-Up. That's right. It's got the Lyman taste of Sprite is better than 7-Up. Yes. Uh, and then we just get a boring set of commercials. Then we come back from commercial. Well, before we get, we, I, I just want to mention because one of these boring set of commercials is the beginning of the theme we'll see throughout the rest of the show. It's Remco has closed a deal with Whirlpool and GE to get washers, dryers, and fridges, no credits, but it's to rent them. Okay. You yeah, pay we'll, we'll talk about it. dollars a month to rent appliances or electronics. We'll have a lot more about this later. The only thing I'll say right now is 
there were a lot of these companies doing business in Memphis. It's not as if we have the same company in every commercial break. No. I believe there are four separate companies spread throughout the rest of the commercial breaks offering the same service and shit talking each other yes. in their commercials about which is the best. The the rent to own furniture and electronics competition is oh. nothing compared, you know, Sprite and Seven Up have nothing on this fight between no, this these guys. This is more guys. bitter than the Monday Night Wars. This is <laughs> this is knock knock down drag out stuff. I also love the Taco Bell wheels, reels, and meals sweepstakes that's going on. When we come back from commercial, they run down the upcoming shows in random towns in arkansas tennessee and mississippi (laughs) i wrote them all down paris tennessee jonesboro arkansas blythesville arkansas stuttgart arkansas ripley tennessee jackson tennessee a super night in jackson tennessee camden and hohenwalk arkansas truman arkansas fulton water valley batesville coming to all those towns not quite excalibur but close We uh, we then have Dundee coming out again, and he is ranting and raving, and he tells Lawler to bring his belt. If he can beat him, he will give Lawler the keys to his $25,000 car. Well, the other thing is there's the match in the ring and dur- <laughs> that's about to start, and during this whole thing that you're about to describe, Dundee will like leave where he's at, run to the ring, try to scare these guys off, tell them to get out of the ring. Um, again, just completely manic behavior here from uh, from Bill Dundee. Uh, Jerry Lawler finally comes out. Um, Bill Dundee says, I ain't no redneck and you ain't no king, which is a great line. Uh, Jerry comes out and Bill starts hiding behind the desk. So you've got uh, Bill Dundee hiding behind the desk. You've got... Uh, Lance Russell sitting in front of the desk off to the side, trying to somehow keep order on this show. That's gone completely off the rails. Uh, they argue about cars. Jerry Lawler says, I don't care about your car. I don't have a Chevy. My car is a Dodge. Yeah. His $25,000 car Lawler is unimpressed. So Dundee says, all right, then I'll put my hair on the line for a shot at Lawler's title. And this is where Dundee successfully finally chases the geeks. Uh, and then him and Lawler yes. are supposed to wrestle. And I love the little details that this is like actually impromptu. Like yeah. how, like we're about to get a Southern heavyweight championship match, hair versus title impromptu. And how many times in modern wrestling are you watching the show saying, what would have been the main event if this thing earlier in the show didn't yes. happen? And we have a whole, there's a whole card of stuff and we're just not having another match to have this match no. right now. Well, Lance Russell says throughout the show, we'll see later multiple times where he's stressing about the format, the format wrong yeah. <laughs> and how this changes the card coming up on Monday, even at the beginning of the segment, like a guy, a production assistant goes to the desk, and hands uh, Lance Russell a new format. Also, what's great here is that the the chaotic impromptu nature of this is helped along by the fact that, like, we'll see a camera, but it's in a weird spot. And so it's shooting, like, you can see another camera in the shot. Like, not everybody's set up where they should be because this is all chaotic and it's happening, you know, uh, unplanned. And so here we go. Southern title, Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler in the ring. And, Bill Dundee runs wild to start, punches, 
knee drops, Irish whip, uh, a punch, knocks Stray Lawler down. This match already is living up to the reputation of Memphis, which is in-ring action is almost entirely punches, and it makes somehow for incredibly dramatic wrestling. Maybe my favorite line, though, of the night from Lance Russell, uh, he says as this match starts, he goes, I'm sorry uh, that we have all this craziness and dissension. He pauses for a second, and then he chuckles, and he says, but not really, not really sorry. This is great. Yeah, the punches were great. This was a fight, and, and oh. Dundee was winning the fight. Lawler ends up sending Dundee face first in the buckle, and Lawler with one right hand. After all those punches from Dundee, one right hand sends Bill Dundee flying across the ring. He goes flying through the air like he's a, a villain in the old Adam West Batman show. We just needed a pow or a bam or a pow or something showing up on the screen. Um, but then you get the other end of the spectrum with Dundee selling as yes. uh, off the ropes, a big punch, and Dundee just crumbles to the mat. So he yes. does the punch where he goes flying. He does a punch now where he gets hit, and he just crumbles to the mat almost like a knockout. Absolutely. Dundee tries a turning cross body off the middle rope, but Lawler moves, and Dundee crashes and burns. Yep. Jerry then goes for the pile driver. But the pile driver is banned in Memphis at this point, so it would have been a disqualification if he hits it. Uh, Bill Dundee counters, backdrops uh, Jerry Lawler. He's stomping him now, rope break, and then Bill Dundee is just wild here threatening the referee. Again, completely unhinged. Yeah, Lawler takes advantage to roll him up, but only a one count. A bulldog out of the corner by Dundee. He goes for another one, but Lawler puts him on the top rope, Dundee falls back into the ring. He basically carries the momentum of the bulldog attempt and puts Bill Dundee into a Bronco Buster position in the ropes, but there's obviously no one there for uh, for him to hit. Then the straps come down, and Lawler is throwing punches. They're trading punches. A uh, bunch of punches here from Lawler as we go toward the break. Lance Russell is awesome here explaining how important this match is. We will have, we, the tape machines will be rolling. We'll make sure to show you if we have a finish before we come back. And this thing feels so chaotic and out of control and unplanned as you're watching that you legitimately think that there may be a finish during the commercial break. And then, yeah, we get, uh, uh, he, he's punching Dundee in the corner. Uh, Dundee pulls a weapon out of his trunks, like a chain, wraps it like around his little, fist. Thin little chain, not, not like a huge you know, Russian chain match type of chain, but a thin little chain that the referee can't see. Lawler goes for the belly-to-back suplex. Dundee punches Lawler in the head with the weapon as he's in the position up in the up in the air. He goes and covers Lawler and gets a three count. What? Dundee is celebrating as the new Southern heavyweight champion. Unbelievable. He's, he's celebrating. He's doing the Fargo strut, which is a great touch after earlier. He was... Uh, ripping on Fargo, saying that, uh, well, well, really ripping on the fabulous ones, saying they're just a thrown-together team that Jackie Fargo put together. But, yes, here we go. Southern champion Bill Dundee, a title change here on the weekly TV show. Uh, and apparently whoever recorded this and dubbed it was so excited to see. They fast-forwarded. We <laughs> literally see a fast-forward through the next commercial break. So there probably was at least one rent-to-own commercial there. We don't see it, though. Instead, we come back. Bill Dundee is at the desk with Lance Russell. He has a Southern title. He says, Ric Flair is coming to Memphis on November 18th, which 
pisses off Lance Russell because Lance Russell wanted to save this news for later on in the show. Bill Dundee spoils it, says it now, and says, guess who Ric Flair is coming to wrestle? The Southern champion, me. <laughs> he says it just like that, completely deranged. He is a god here on this show. Lawler comes out to join Russell. He calls out Dundee for cheating. He wants a rematch. And Dundee says, bad news for you, Lawler. Uh, I don't have to defend my title for 30 days. This is so great. So, so I'm not going to give you a match. But if we count out the days, what day is Flair coming to town? Oh, just in time for me to wrestle Ric Flair for the title. Dundee is so ninth- happy with himself that this worked out. <laughs> it's the 19th right now. A month from now is the 18th, so I will still have the Southern title, uh, even if I don't uh, defend it by then. He says, I'll give you the belt at that point because I'll be the world champ afterwards. I won't care. You can have it again. I just write, oh, my God, this guy is insane. He's Uh, so happy. Like, the joy. (laughs) Like, we've seen Bill Dundee angry all the entire show. Now he's the Southern Heavyweight Champion. This man is so ecstatic. He's so happy. It was so great and a great way to plug the flair coming to memphis date like this this was this is wrestling perfection here oh yeah as far as wrestling tv storytelling it doesn't get any better than this we also have more foreshadowing as bill dundee is strutting around in the ring so proud of his work lawler uh tells lance russell that uh, he is going to make in just a few minutes he will make Bill Dundee so mad that he won't have any choice to give him the title shot. So from there, immediately after Lance Russell apologizes for this whole show going off the rails, (laughs) uh, we we are supposed to have the Armstrong's debut here against Jerry Garman. And is it Benny Wheeler? Benny trailer, Benny trailer, but that doesn't happen because Jerry Lawler comes back to the desk, says he has a contract for a match this week. His signature is already on it. Bill Dundee won't sign it, though. Uh, Jerry Lawler then recounts that the maddest he had ever been in his own life was a couple years ago when Rick Rude busted up his Lincoln Continental. Lawler then pulls out a baseball bat, tells the cameraman, follow me to the parking lot, which there's not a lot of distance there. You're a TV studio. They open the garage door, and boom, they're in the parking lot. There are a ton of kids in the parking lot trying to get Jerry Jerry Lawler's autograph. He is not uh, indulging them, though, because he has a baseball bat, and he tells Bill Dundee, if you don't sign this contract, your car won't be worth 25 cents. He's ready to bash the car in. Bill or uh, Lance Russell is uh, he, he's just so upset. He's so worried. He says, Jerry, you don't have to resort to that. There's got to be a better way. Uh, and then uh, here, uh, here comes Bill. He's in the ring. He says, I'll sue you. Yeah, I'm not signing it. I'm going to sue you. (laughs) Jerry Lawler responds by by saying, you have 10 seconds uh, before I bash your car in. Lance Russell is pleading with Bill Dundee. He says, he will do it. He's not (laughs) bluffing. He's serious like a heart attack. Dundee drops to his knees and desperately signs the contract in the ring before the count of 10 happens. Uh, the, the best thing about this, too, as a visual, is that Jerry Lawler is in the parking lot with a baseball bat standing next to a car that he clearly is about to vandalize. There are multiple police officers in the same parking lot. The police officers are only concerned about keeping, keeping, the people. Children, yeah. keeping children away from Jerry Lawler, making sure he doesn't have to sign autographs. 
Lawler makes his way back into the studio. He says, uh, you just saved your car, but cost yourself the shot at the world champion and the Southern heavyweight title. Another amazing segment. This is so oh great. Oh, my God. This is... What a show. A master class in how to tell a story from basically a dead stop with Lawler and Dundee. They're tag partners as this starts. We see the seeds of uh, of maybe some dissension, but it's not even... It's not overt. It's just Dundee's really freaking hyper. And Lawler's <laughs> like, what's, what's up with him today? That carries through the Fabulous Ones promo. We have... That all leads to what ends up happening with the match. Dundee wins the title. We then have everything we just described, and we've now created out of thin air not only a great hour of television here in this 90-minute episode of the show, we've also created out of thin air a super hot title match coming up for people to go to the arena for. Just everything that a pro wrestling TV show is meant to do, this show has done so far. We go to commercial where we hear that Cool and the gang are on tour. They're coming to Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum. The party event of the year, the Mary Jane girls are opening. <laughs> we uh, we then get another furniture rental commercial. Well, we do. And I think so. This company is called Aaron Rents Furniture. <laughs> yes. They're renting <laughs> furniture. They're renting home electronics. And again, the concept is you pay weekly Weekly for your couch. Weekly for your couch, for your microwave, for your Your television. This is like twenty or thirty dollars per item in nineteen eighty-five money in Memphis. What I'm thinking though, so it's Aaron rents furniture. Is this the company that becomes Aaronson? No, well, Aaron's, which is like the the main, like the only rent-to-own company I know of that still exists, or at least existed like. 15 years ago when I still watch NASCAR and these commercials were all over <laughs> NASCAR broadcasts and they sponsored a car and NASCAR. Like, I think this is the big company errands here in the formative years. Well, then, this seemed like a rinky dink coming. This seemed like some yes. dude named Aaron's like, well, I got to get in on this rent to own game. <laughs> yes. We then have Billy D Williams oh, telling yeah, us that if you buy Colt 45 beer, women are going to have sex with you right now. He talks about having a good time. You got to have the right clothes. It's not just the Colt 45. You got to have the right clothes. but And you got to have enough Colt 45 for, that's, for you and that someone special. But and you then, also got to be Billy D. Williams. I mean, come on. Super Billy helps. Yeah. It's a lot cooler than any of us. But this is our second malt liquor commercial of the show. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, the, these aren't beer commercials. These are malt no. liquor commercials. So, we I- are... We are uh, drinking heavy stuff and renting our furniture. We're <laughs> I wonder if you have to if you have to rent your malt liquor. You have, you have to rent the fridge to put it in. <laughs> yes. uh, just, yes. My goodness. So we're back from break. Lance Russell is stressing because the card that he has on his desk for the upcoming show is not valid. And he is very concerned. First, he's like, I'm going to read the old card and read the new card and we'll compare them. And then in real time, he's like, that's a dumb idea. Let's just read the new card. <laughs> and so he goes through it. This is what the card is coming up Monday, October 21st at the Coliseum. Regular prices, we're told, which I always enjoy uh, the specificity on these territory shows, about whether it's regular prices or we're going to jack them up and make you pay more. In any event, the card is Billy Joe Travis against the spoiler, the masked superstar against Coco Ware, Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett against Taurus Bulba and 
Bota the Witch Doctor? The Witch Doctor, correct. Yeah. <laughs> we have the Mongolian Stomper against Phil Hickerson, Pritchard and Rose against the Armstrongs, the aforementioned rugby scrum between the Fabulous Ones and the Sheep, Shirter, sheep Herders, and then the main event, Bill Dundee, Jerry the King Lawler, Southern title, winner gets Ric Flair next month uh, in the match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, if you're watching the show, there's no way you're not going to that show on the Monday oh, night. There's no way. Oh, my God. And the funny thing is, outside of Lawler and Dundee, nothing on the show is going to be good at all. But no. I don't care. I want to see it all, particularly the main event. This show has me sold. Invader and Shadow are in the ring to take on Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett. You heard that right. Not Jeff Jarrett. Jerry Jarrett, the father of Jeff Jarrett. And this team had retired. They've been retired for many years at this point. And they've come out of retirement in 1985 for like a nostalgia run. So that's... That's uh, yeah, that's was, why they're here on this on this show and the and and on the Monday show and why they look, uh, why Tojo Yamamoto looks like a hundred years old. I was shocked to see Tojo Yamamoto here wrestling because I remember just a few years later watching him uh, as one of the focal points of the USWA as a manager. Um, it, it's also amusing how this match only goes thirty six seconds, which is not long enough for either man to take off their entrance gear, which I think is probably by design as these are two old men, at least old men by 1985 wrestling standards. They're probably like 10 years younger than <laughs> Minoru Suzuki or something right now. Um, but yeah, not much here at all. Tojo Yamamoto wins after a chop. A slow motion chop. This was, yes. uh, yeah, uh, not good, but uh, I'm sure people were excited for the nostalgia. As I was, as we moved to the next set of 80s commercials, you get free KFC chicken if you donate blood. Which sounds a bit funny because they're talking about this fried chicken as they're talking about donating blood. And I'm like, well, if you eat too much of this fried chicken, your heart isn't going to be pumping blood. But you're going to need the event, blood that you're doing that's yes. being donated. You're going to need like you're going to need a, a stent more than you need to be uh, getting or giving blood at this point. But uh, from there, we have a truly deranged commercial about alcoholism. So this is like is, this is like the ad council crap where they would have to air PSAs like this is like the your brain on drugs PSAs and stuff. This one was really weird. Every time an alcoholic has a drink, it's a killer. And then the guns pointed at the camera. I'm like, Jesus, ad council. This is yeah, getting loaded has a whole new definition. <laughs> so we go from there to an item that. I don't think people who aren't from the South have ever heard of. I am only familiar with this item because, again, growing up as a kid watching NASCAR, these commercials were all over it. Here it's goodies, headache tablets. What I remember is goodies, headache powder. My Ugh. hero as a child, Richard Petty, the king of auto racing, the king of NASCAR, would do these commercials for goodies, headache powder. Goodies, headache powder was not... I mean, it was what it said. You know, usually you think of Advil, aspirin, anything. You ingest goodies headache powder. If I remember correctly, you rubbed on your no, forehead. No, no, oh, that Jesus. was supposed to make a headache go away. We then go from there to another rent-to-own furniture no. electronics commercial. I'm gonna correct you. This is 
Furniture Center. And oh, they're actually the for sale. Yeah. This is the first one that is not for rent. This dude's like, hey, you want to buy some furniture? I'm selling <laughs> some furniture. And and Furniture Center is all business right. here. Like So finally, this is the first one. We've had five rent to own. Here we've got Furniture Center actually selling you a piece of furniture. That is true. That is correct. I appreciate the uh, the correction here. We are back from break. Lance Russell still seems frazzled by this show going off the rails and everything going off format, but it all adds to the realism of what you're seeing. He then reads a promo and he almost is like apologizing for it, but for a wrestling cassette, it's Lords of the Ring. PWIs. PWI. Yeah. He tells us it's the only wrestling tape that matters. He says he won't spend a lot of time on it now. He'll tell us more about it at a, at a later date. This is a 60-minute wrestling cassette. It costs, in 1985, $39.95. And like another 5 bucks if you want to ship it. So it's like 40-some yes. dollars for this hour-long tape. So uh, I'm putting out the call. We've put out the call before to the patrons. Uh, I'm putting out the call. We want someone to request. PWI's Lords of the Ring. We want to review it here. I want to see what this forty-some dollar, nineteen eighty-five dollars cassette. Uh, I want to see what they were actually selling here. But I remember seeing that videotape, that cover, on like the back cover of every PWI, like of the time. Like oh, that yes. thing was in the magazines constantly. I am doing, by the way, Jeremy. I am doing calculations right now. Um, because this is what we do on the bonus feed. So $46, including shipping. That's what this is for this one-hour wrestling tape. Do you want to know what that uh, that comes out to in $2022? How much? $124.11. This is insanity. It That's... sounded like insanity in 1985. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, why are we $40? I just saw that I could, like rent a washing machine and a dryer for like 20 what yes. well, your chart you your 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 uh your tv and your vcr for 40 dollars <laughs> a month here um this is just completely insane um no yeah. wonder lance wow. russell was apologetic about this ad <laughs> yes. this is a this is a blatant cash grab from bill after and pwi yes Scott and Steve Armstrong are finally going to have their match against Jerry Garman and Benny Trailer this time. And their match, by the way, we should mention, it's an expiration of time match, meaning this is how it's weird, but it does make it realistic that like you can format out a wrestling show and have a main event and not it's, oh, the main event goes on at 15 to the hour and it always conveniently ends right as the show's going off here. This is however many falls it takes till the end of the show. You just keep wrestling. If you win once, you, you keep going. At the end of the fall, you go to commercial break and you wrestle again. You have that amount of time to do your wrestling no matter how many falls you have. It's basically a TV time remaining Iron Man match. This was a three-and-a-half-minute squash. The Armstrongs won with a Steve Armstrong clothesline. This was uh, this was lame. I did not care for the Armstrongs whatsoever here. No, there wasn't much here. Steve looked better than Scott. Scott just looked like a, a skinny, 
uh, lesser version of Bullet Bob. Steve, again, very young here, but still you could see there was something there that we, we talk about later. Um, we go to commercial yeah. and this Schlitz malt liquor ad with the Marshall Tucker band singing about Schlitz malt liquor as a bull breaks through the bar is something else. I was glad to see the bull back again, this time introduced to us by the Marshall Tucker band. Yeah, this was... Uh, so the Schlitz Bull, I'm, I'm super excited after hearing about this. More rent-to-own furniture. Central Appliance and TV Rental is the company this time. Uh, yet another one of these. That's the only, almost the only way outside of that one company that you can own furniture, uh, appliances, TVs, VCRs, any of it is to rent. We then go to Performance uh, Toyota. They have a birthday cake for their one-year anniversary. And then... Bill King's Braco knows what they're talking about. They'll run you through your brake problems and give you a full quote before they start doing the work on your car. Scott and Steve are talking to Lance Russell. They, oh boy. They, they, wanna, they want to win for the two-on-one beatdown of their dad, Bullet Bob. And at this point... Thank goodness for Todd, Tom Pritchard in, in Tom Pritchard interrupting this terrible interview. Uh, they challenge Steve and Scott to a match. Lance says, "Hey, why not? He's clearly been defeated by this show." <laughs> yes, and I yes. howled with laughter. <laughs> yes. And we go to the ring. It's Pritchard and Rose. Uh, Pat Rose, not 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 any other Rose you're thinking no of. No Playboy uh, Buddy Rose. No here. Adam Rose. This is uh, no. Is nowhere <laughs> to be found. Tom Pritchard against and Pat Rose taking on the Armstrongs, and we get Pat Rose out wrestling Scott on the mat early. I remember yeah. Pat Rose is like a WCW jobber. Yeah, uh, he looks good here. I actually thought he was he was totally fine. Yeah. Um, really. The, most of this match, until the crazy thing that happens, most of this match is just Steve and Scott Armstrong applying arm bars to Pat Rose and it's Tom It's the Richard. most Armstrong thing I could think of them <laughs> doing. You know how I yes. feel about this. Yes. Yeah. Well, the Armstrongs are trying to make the arms of their opponents a week here uh, with this arm-based action. They reference Brad Armstrong, and I am dying to see Brad Armstrong compared to either of these two men here. Uh, in 1985, Tom Pritchard looks good, by the way. He's got bleach blonde hair, but he's he, he moves in a unique way. You can tell that he's Tom Pritchard. He looks more polished than some of these guys on this show. Then it happens. There is Steve. An, yes. Yeah, go ahead and, and describe this. Steve sends Rose into the ropes. And he's just about to bounce off the ropes like everyone in wrestling does. And the top rope breaks. The whole thing broke. (laughs) This is unbelievable. To where they had to like, like the whole thing came off. Like, and Rose is down. And I'm like, holy cow. Did he like break his back or something on that? Like dead. Terrifying. Dead. I mean, it's the worst nightmare. I mean, I guess at least he didn't go over and tumble to the floor head first. Like we've seen. Wasn't there like in Europe this year? Wasn't there a yeah, like a Lashley a that going around Drew with McIntyre Bobby Lashley? Match? Yeah, yeah, that something crazy like that happened. But here, this rope explodes. We have people come into the ring and take the rope out. And from this point, but before they did, Pritchard was able to use the turnbuckle as a weapon to hit yes. Armstrong with. Uh, uh, 
giving me flashbacks to uh, war games. Bobby uh, Eaton. Yeah. Larry so- Zabisco. No, Pritchard is such a pro here. And this match, it's a nothing match. I was so incredibly impressed with all four men here in terms of, like, they still had another 10 minutes of TV time to get through here in this match. The top rope is gone. It's obliterated. Irish whips cannot happen for the rest of this match, and they've got to go through a whole heat segment, a hot tag, a comeback. And they, particularly the heels, do an incredible job of improvising uh, and totally reworking this match on the fly. I was so impressed with Dr. Tom Pritchard, so impressed with Pat Rose, who gutted it out when he was in the ring, but then he would get out on the floor, and dude was hurt. Yes, yeah, so he... Uh, he gutted it out. He looked actually okay in the ring. Uh, did and yeah, like you mentioned, what a uh, what a way to to work around not having a top rope. Um, they they did get the heat on Scott for a while. Finally tags in Steve, but Steve does not run wild. He instead runs wild in Armstrong fashion. And puts a hammerlock on Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the baby faces like this wasn't a disaster after the rope broke, but. The heels were incredible handling this. The baby faces were merely adequate in adjusting. Two minutes remaining in the broadcast. Scott's in and he goes to work on Pritchard. Steve gets muscled into the bad guy's corner. Rose is choking Steve behind the ref's back. All the way to the floor. Chokes him over the middle rope all the way to the floor. Punches from the mount on the floor by Pat Rose. Dr. Tom Pritchard here kicks Scott in the balls, but <laughs> Scott is able to get a sunset flip for a visual pin. The referee, however, is distracted by the fight on the floor, and we go to the time limit draw. Time limit draw. This ends with a slow motion replay of the exploding top rope. As we go to, in some ways, that, that was a perfect transition to a, a commercial break, a set of commercials that maybe as unhinged, not only as that <laughs> top rope, but as Bill Dundee. First, a commercial that apparently Coca-Cola and the Cabbage Patch Kids are teaming up to repair the Statue of Liberty, which was apparently crumbling to pieces in 1985. What? You get a Cabbage Patch pinup for $8. Not a Cabbage Patch doll, but like a poster for $8. And that money goes to help fix the Statue of Liberty, which I did not realize was in crisis. No, Uh, this sounds like a racket. (laughs) And then uh, you might be entered into a drawing for an actual Cabbage Patch doll. Now, to be clear, 1985, Cabbage Patch doll is the hottest thing. Like is bars of gold would be left in the middle of the street if people could get cabbage patch dolls. It yeah. was the hottest thing. If you've watched clips of Black Friday fights at Walmarts and other other areas, uh, that's every day that yes. the trucks would unload cabbage patch dolls at your local store. Uh, so just absolute pandemonium every time. So this was this was crazy. Those things were insanely popular. Coca-Cola was involved in this somehow too. I'm not entirely clear what their role was in repairing the Statue of Liberty, but they were they're putting forth their efforts as well in the same commercial. We then go to 
our fourth TV and furniture re furniture rental store champion TV. If your service station charges more for using a credit card, then go to Gulf, the Gulf station, G-U-L-F. Uh, it, it looked like a, like a 76 station or. A, yes. Uh, yes. Again, a, a Southern uh, chain of, of uh, gas service stations. Uh, I also love how the lady just tips her car over and dumps like, some gas like, I'm out. not paying your credit card fees. I'm returning this gas and, and, and tilts the car over, pours it into a gas can. This was, this was comedy here. We also have a commercial about the world stopping in Italy when soccer comes on, except for when the pizza is brought out. And this is somehow a commercial for Pizza Hut. For Pizza Hut, yeah. I, I, there's and again, the... I'm not casting any aspersions on Pizza Hut. My childhood was made so much better by the existence of Book It and reading ten books and then getting a free personal pan pizza. Uh, it shaped my life, my love of reading and my love of pizza. Hundred percent. I powered through uh, the the only time I read was yes. for the <laughs> pizza reward at the end. That was it. Yes. That was it. Um, we come back and Lance Russell tells us about the Monday night card again at the Coliseum and the show goes off the air. What an awesome hour. Dude, this would have been two hours of uh, pro wrestling hour and a half. The Memphis TV was a 90 minute format, which uh, because the commercials were kept in here and this is uh, almost an hour oh, and yeah. a half show. Yeah. It was a 90 minute show every week. I'm convinced and I've heard other people say this, um, but I just thought, oh, maybe they're just saying, I'm convinced after watching this that 90 minutes is, in fact, the, the right time. ideal time for a pro wrestling show. An hour isn't enough. Two hours sometimes is, is too much. Uh, the format is perfect. And my God, that Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee story that is woven throughout, what, four different segments throughout the first hour of this show? Honestly, it might be. That part of this might be the best thing I've seen on any weekly TV show ever. Like it, it's, uh, I'm sure that's recency bias again to a, to a point, but I can count on one hand maybe things that I've seen more effectively weave their way through an entire hour of TV than that. Just incredible. No, and I had no idea where this was going, so I no. was riveted the entire yes. time. Like, and I, I, I went nuts when the title changed. I went nuts. I'm like, Lawler's gonna smash this car. I was in. <laughs> on everything I, the whole ride and it was uh it was everything i want in professional wrestling this was great i'd say that uh you know i've always said championship wrestling from florida is what i've discovered doing this podcast would have been my favorite wrestling territory i would have gone out of my way to see as much memphis as possible yes. as well so it's got to be it's probably my 1b to the 1a that is florida championship wrestling at this point I would agree. I, I would say that those are the two as far as territories that neither of us grew up watching and didn't have as much exposure to as far as actually seeing weekly TV on a regular basis. Uh, I would agree. I still feel like in ring wise, the Florida show appealed to what I like out of wrestling sure. more. But this as an episodic weekly wrestling television show, you can't do a better job than they did here on the show. It is impossible. It's also the type of show that I would implore anybody uh, running a major wrestling promotion with TV now, everybody should be watching and studying this episode. I would assume many others from, from Memphis in terms of how to effectively weave a story 
throughout an entire wrestling show, how to plant subtle seeds that pay off later on in the show. Uh, just an absolute masterclass, incredible stuff. And I'm so, so glad that, uh, that it was given to us to watch this week. Well, you can again thank patron Kendall for that. He is the intentionalizer this week. He went to his Patreon. He bumped himself up to the $10 tier and sent us a message that, hey, watch this Memphis wrestling. And this one has commercials. And I said, thank you, patron Kendall, before I even watched it. And, and yeah, no, he, this, is, this is great stuff. So if you want to be the intentionalizer, if you have a show that you think we'd enjoy, if you think – We'd hate, but would have a fun time making fun of it. Uh, anything you want, you can be the intentionalizer. Just has to be at least 10 years old. Go to uh, your Patreon. Just tweak that, uh, that setting. Bump up for one month. Send us a message. We review it. Bump yourself right back down. It's that easy. And we will watch that show you've been thinking about. Hey, should I go ahead and and reach out and see if they want to review that show? The answer is yes. Yes, you should. Get on that. We're looking forward to the next the next intentionalizer out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Never lets us down. Uh, Kendall never lets us down. None of the intentionalizers really ever have. It's always so interesting to see what people pick. And man, I'm just, I'm so happy. Another, uh, another bit of a blind spot for each of us. And it's not like this was just a throwaway episode. This was great. It showed everything. Uh, that made Memphis TV so unique and entertaining. And I'm just thrilled we got to see it. And who knows, maybe an intentionalizer or the randomizer will throw us more Memphis TV in the future. Uh, I would have been excited before. I am so much more excited now to uh, hopefully get more Memphis. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Kendall. Thank you, Bill Dundee, Lance Russell, Jerry Lawler, and everyone else involved with bringing us this episode. Awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.